Before we begin the episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, Feel Queens, an Irish-owned GEA and leisurewear brand created by two intercounty players, Una White and Orla Duff. The girls have put aside their intercounty rivalries to create Ireland's first ever GEA glove, specifically designed and tailored fit to the female hand. Phil Queens are empowering future generations and offer a 15% team discount on gloves and are proud to be stocked in 10 stores nationwide. Having only started this venture in 2021, they have steadily grown their product line to include their original Empower gloves, bobble hats, snoods and water bottles. They have also just announced their brand new blackout glove which are now available to buy on their website feelqueens.ie. You can find out more information on their social media at feelqueens which will be linked in the description box below. Welcome back to the Sideline Live podcast. You can follow us over on Twitter and Instagram at the Sideline Live. We'd love to hear from you. In episode 85, I was delighted to be joined by 2010 Ireland winning captain and Dublin legend Denise Matterson. On this episode, we discuss her career, the many setbacks and challenges she faced and with the team, the benefits of playing multiple sports, leadership, management and so much more. Denise, thanks a million for joining me on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Orly, yeah. Before we get into everything, would you mind giving a quick elevator pitch to the very few people who might not know who you are? Oh, I don't know about that. Um, Denise Masterson, um, I joined to football very late in my life, I suppose, but was lucky enough to go on and captain Dublin to our first All-Ireland win in 2010. Um, Ballymun Kickhams is my club. I did do a stint out in Navemarnove were good enough to take me in and we couldn't field the team in Ballymun for a while. Uh, they ended up amalgamating with another Finglas group. Um, and then I've gone back to Ballymun Kickhams since having my two children and tried to play a little bit of football. It's not working too well. The body won't, um, won't cooperate with me. And now I'm involved a little bit with the Dublin minor management team. Brilliant. When I was doing a bit of research for this, I didn't realise basketball was actually your first sport and you picked up uh, GEA to kind of keep you fit for, for basketball. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know what? It's funny thinking and probably now that I'm involved with the minors as well. I never really took up a sport as such younger. Like it wasn't something my mum and dad put me into. You know, I started playing basketball myself nearly when I found a few people in secondary school who played and absolutely loved basketball. Great sport. And the season in basketball kind of ends depending you know it was ending around February or March and I'd nothing to do over the summer and I met a lad that I knew from when I was growing up and he said Ballymun Kickhams had started a team I should go up and yeah it was 23 I rocked up in my basketball boots and my basketball shorts and uh, yeah I, I loved it I really I obviously got very much involved in it then you know so I loved it but yeah I was really late coming to football like you know so 23 I don't think that had happened now with the skill levels of the younger girls you know but yeah yeah, I'm just I found it. Yeah. Did you play any Super League or kind of competitive basketball at that stage? Um, I did, yeah. Again, um, it's funny talking about coming to football late at 23. I probably felt I came to basketball later. I was never really, you know, basketball was huge in Ireland back then, like really big. Like people would have gone to all the camps and there would have been, I suppose, groups like basketball cliques that were fanatics. And I suppose I was never one of them either, but I did get involved with Talca Rovers and for they had a Super League team at the time. And I actually won a Super League medal. I didn't get very much core time at all. Oh, very good. I didn't notice. My husband, who's a huge basketballer, I don't think he ever won a, a cup medal. <laughs> so he can't believe kind of I have one. But um, I, would, I would have been a very much, I would have been on the bench in that, but I loved it. They were a great group of girls. So I would have seen it played at a very high competitive level. and. 
I would have played netball as well at a high level. I would have played netball for Ireland from school as well. So Oh, yeah. wow. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, football was very late in my life. Yeah, I didn't realise you played netball for Ireland. What, what was the influence there? Was that just in school, was it? Yeah, we had a netball team in school. Um, again, I think it's a sport that's very much, I don't think it's played half as much now, but again, I loved it. Um, and I suppose with the Irish trials, it would have been, you know, we were in school in Fingless, we would have been going over to, you know, Glenageary and Mount Anvil and stuff. And it was great. It was great for us, you know, with a real different viewpoint of it all and we loved it and we'd great crack with the team as well we actually went on a trip I mean it wouldn't have been as organized you wouldn't have played as many games but we played a few internationals and I loved it yeah we played brilliant yeah. what I love about this is straight off the bat you've mentioned three different sports and it's come up a lot in the podcast it's a lot of sports people elite you know sportsmen and women have played multiple sports there wasn't this early specialization of a lot of the top athletes that are currently playing the game yeah, and I think it's really important, like, you know, even in terms of, like I said, I wasn't put into a sport, like, and I find I'm now doing it with my kids, you know, like that they're only, and you're sending them off to nurseries at five, and, you know, you're kind of choosing, a, not choosing a path for them, I know you're opening their mind to stuff, but, I mean, my early childhood sport was, like, double dutch skipping on the road, and, you know, chasing, and it's just funny, you just wonder when they're going so young, trying to get kids so focused on a sport, like, that um it maybe doesn't develop the sports mind as much but um like I said I might have played them all at a competitive level but it was very much for the crack and there was no pressure on me my parents they support me but they certainly weren't making me choose and I do think at a certain stage like when I was playing Dublin football there's no way I could have been playing multiple sports at that stage I think there's a time when it's time to pick a lane nearly but definitely when you're younger to play as many as you can I think it only helps all sports you know yeah definitely your basketball career would have influenced your play a lot I remember watching it you had a very distinct kind of defensive one-on-one stance uh, which would have really reminded me of basketball can you talk us through some of the benefits you saw from crossing over between the two sports um well, I suppose the main thing for me is basketball is a real um not tactical but there's a lot of plays there's a lot of thinking involved in basketball and um, I suppose the way I would have been coached earlier, I had a coach when I started playing basketball, um, Dave Dillon, and he would have been very much, you know, we would have done a lot of talk and we would have listened a lot. There would have been a lot of discussions, I suppose, which it might have slowed training sessions down or that, but we, we were made think about it. He was very particular about stuff. And I, I probably got a lot from that in terms of, you know, when you went out to play the game, I thought about it in terms of defense. I would have really listened to what he had said about defensive stance and stuff. And I loved, I loved to defend and I loved defending in basketball and I loved defending in football. Like I liked tackling, I liked getting stuck in, I liked trying to win the ball back. But um, not just in terms of one-on-one tackling, but even in terms of uh, seeing the pitch. Like for me, it was always like the football pitch was just an enlarged version of the basketball court. And I loved defense, but I loved man-on-man defense. Um, and I suppose even as a midfielder, I would have been a very defensively minded midfielder. So for me, I think the influence was huge from basketball to football. Yeah. You weren't ever tempted to do a big run up into the front and score a point every now and again, no? Forwards would have blocked my way, never mind the backs. I think my own team would have, yeah, scored me back up the pitch if I tried to do that. It wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> my day. And I knew what my skills were with the team. And certainly one of the length of the pitch to score was not one of them. No, I would have been looking for uh, Lee. Sinead or Reds or somebody yeah when you joined the Dublin senior football team after only picking up football at, at 23 can you describe that path of ju- picking up football to then 
joining the team to then becoming a regular starter and captain of the team? Um, again, probably the fact that I hadn't played um, and I didn't quite get maybe, you know, the significance of it all for everybody else. You know, like when I started playing in 2003 with the Dublin junior teams and again, it was a great group and we got called up then to the senior team and me and two other girls. Um, and that was the All-Ireland actually that they were in in 2004 when uh, Galway beat them. And uh, they had a panel of maybe 35 and we actually made the match day panel that day. And, you know, like <laughs> I'd only played football a year when I was driving in the bus to Crow Park. Like I had no idea really how big a thing that was for everybody else on the bus. Like there was a little bit of maybe naivety about it with me, which was probably a good thing because I probably wasn't as nervous that day as I was going in in 2009 and 2010 because I just didn't really understand the whole importance of it. I do remember getting a phone call from the then chairperson of our uh, Ballymun Kickham's club wishing we looked on the way in and thinking it was lovely and God, this is a big deal. But um, I remember thinking on the bench, like, as we were struggling and I was thinking, put me in, put me in. Like, God, 10 years later, I wouldn't have been thinking that at all. But that's how, like, I just wanted to get in and win the ball, you know, in 2004, which I suppose was a nice way to start. And it was only the longer I was with the team and the transitions that we went through, maybe that I suppose started getting into it more, taking it on more and it becoming much more serious to me. So, um, yeah, I suppose a little level of uh, innocence, maybe naivety when I started maybe helped me because I was just there to train. I wasn't, I didn't feel under any pressure to make squads or anything. I just loved it. Yeah. When you win in All-Ireland, when you lose in All-Ireland, what's more motivating for you going into that following season? Is it that loss or is it the win? Mm, that's a really interesting question because I suppose after 2009 when Cork beat us, um, I don't know if we were ever as driven maybe, so which would make you think that the loss actually probably drove us on more and I suppose as well the fact that we had never won one and we felt we were so close that year against Cork in 2009 but yeah we were we were probably very driven in 2010 in terms of not leaving any stone unturned and and then after we won in 2010 I suppose there were a couple of girls who'd been there a long long time and uh, they retired so we had a few retirements and I suppose because we had won, it was a very different off season in terms of, you know, you have the cup, we were going around a little bit, we were trying to organise a, a, a trip, which, you know, like this was all foreign to us. And yeah, maybe in 2011, despite the fact that we were still very much motivated, wanted to win another, but to answer your question, maybe I was more motivated by the loss in 2009 than the win in 2010, which seems wrong in ways, I suppose. When you come back into the 2010 season, can you describe that change in what seems like a change in energy in the group? When you mentioned no stone left unturned, what was the difference then at training in in within squad uh, matches or gym sessions? What was the difference there between 20, 2009-2010? What got you over the line? Um, I suppose in fairness to the group, um, that had been coming, like the single-mindedness and you know people were really determined. Uh, a couple of characters stand out like Neve McAvoy Senior like she would have really tried to drive things on every season um, and it had probably started after I don't know if it was around 2007 or 2008 we got absolutely hammered by Tyrone in a quarter final um, and games wouldn't have been televised the same but this one was televised and we were played off the park you know and really disappointed after the game and I always remember um, the new chairperson uh, Camillus Kilpatrick came in to talk to us after the game and I think he was quite taken aback because like Macker just went on a rant about how we needed to be in the gym and we needed to be doing weights and 
I think he couldn't believe that, you know, our season had ended. We were heading into an off season and that's where her head was at. So it probably started a lot longer before 2009. But I suppose in terms of the management team, they upped it as well. They brought in, you know, we had Martin Kennedy brought in in 2010 and he was a huge addition in terms of strength and conditioning. And um, for me, his his mental approach to the game and he was a very positive influence on the team and he would have been a huge difference for me in 2010 from 2009. They were probably just tweaks between 2009, 2010. I think the groundwork in terms of changing things up had started long before then. Yeah, Martin Kennedy has been referenced by a lot of elite athletes. Was he the one that had you uh, marching around the pitch to Aaron Levine the week before the final? Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, it was just his attention to detail, but it was everything like for how, um, like the attention to detail and all that, but his personality with it, like he's very laid back, you know, very, um, very calm, kind of like no ranting or raving, but like what he got out of you or, you know, he just demanded a certain standard simply by how organized he was like everything he did you know training sessions were just they were up on the board down to the minute what you had to do it was just so organized so you rocked up and if you didn't rock onto the pitch I remember he actually sent us all back off the pitch one training session to come back onto it again like we were going to win an All-Ireland final and that was kind of him setting down the marker in the most relaxed laid back you know fanfare way you know but yeah we marched around I think it was David's out in uh, Martin and we had the music on and we did it and you know it was great preparation because you know the story our bus didn't show up for the All-Ireland final in 2010 and we were really late and I think all the work he had done really stood to us you know in terms of we weren't ruffled at all by the fact we were arriving nearly an hour late to the game. Yeah that was actually going to be my next question when you realise this is happening and the bus is coming on the biggest day ever and you just re- previously referenced how you now know what an all Ireland final is you're now nervous you're coming in off 2009 how do you deal with something that on the day logistically doesn't go go right and you're late to the game? Um, in fairness to the management team they handled it really well you know like we would have always got our backs and forwards in for talks when we got to the pitch and gone through whatever we were going to work on so and um, we were actually out on Bridget's and I think actually a few of the parents that were hanging on were getting more nervous and again Martin was a very calm influence that day and you know Tommy and Mick as well I suppose Jerry's manager he was maybe getting a little bit more because I'm sure he was you know biggest game of his career as well but um yeah, we were taken into the bar actually in Bridget's and we started doing our team talk there. So anything that we could start getting done, even strapping with the physio, we started doing it in Bridget's and it was actually, you know, the bus journey in was, uh, we were actually nearly getting giddy. There was an nervous energy sort of thing, you know, um, which maybe was a good thing too. I mean, like, because we were under pressure getting in and the warm up, I remember Clean O'Connor saying to me and Bridget's like, I'm supposed to be halfway through my keeper warm up because the way the up is in Crow Park, we had a time, you know. So, look, we handled it really well. In fairness, that's down to the management team and the girls, you know. I suppose we felt we had the work done and we were going to arrive in time to warm up. There just wasn't any sort of hanging around or, yeah, we had to be fairly on it when we got there. You were the first Dublin captain to, ri- to lift the Brendan Martin. At what stage were you named captain? And after only picking up football at 23 and joining the squad from the junior team and going through that journey, how big of a deal was that for you? Um, yeah, so again, I suppose when I when I was brought up to the senior team, there would have been a lot of um, senior players there who I probably would have learned a lot from or I, I would have seen how they went about it in terms of trying to drive the team on. There was um, 
you know, and some of them were still there when I was playing, like, you know, Reds are clean, uh, Martina Farrell would have been another one. Like, there were a lot of girls who, I suppose I would have looked at and admired how they went about what they were doing in terms of always trying to drive the standards on, you know. Um, and then after 2005, um, when John O'Leary and that management team left and there was a lot, of, a lot of changes then, a lot of the panel left. So to be honest, we would have been struggling. Like we might have had eight players out of training sessions for a while with the Dublin senior team, you know, and um, I suppose that core group who stayed and tried to dig it out got very, very close. Um, and would have really tried to drive it on for each other. And um, that for me, I suppose, really got me where it was more, it wasn't just about the sport, it was about representing Dublin, it was about improving the Dublin team, it was about getting the Dublin team back to an All-Ireland, it was about the players that I was with, and all of a sudden it took on much greater importance, I suppose. So I suppose I maybe started becoming a lot more vocal within the group in terms of trying it on and um, Mary Nevin would have been around then as well and um, she would have been captain maybe in 2006 and then in 2007 um, I was made captain with Jerry McGill but um, I suppose again it was more of an, an evolution in terms of all of a sudden from being the one in 2004 who you know like sure like walking into an All-Ireland final in your first year playing football is quite ridiculous in ways you know and um, I suppose I evolved from that to trying to drive to get the team back because there was a big slump after those All-Irelands and then the All-Ireland uh, semi-final, I think it was the following year when we lost and there was a big change in personnel in terms of players and management and like I said, that small group would have got very close and would have started really driving it on for Dublin and I suppose had a great pride in what they were trying to do. Uh, the likes of Neve McAvoy, like I've said, I always felt she was a really kind of... Um, underrated player in terms of what she did for Dublin football because she was um she was just so determined and dogged and she would have been another one who really tried to drag it back in, you know that way so and like I said I suppose I was lucky to be surrounded by some of those players and then I kind of started taking more on myself and you know very appointed me captain then in 2007 so yeah. And what's it like going through those years you even mentioned there eight, eight players are training like that's unheard of now obviously with the Dublin senior team and obviously it's very different now to what it was back then with all the resources available, all the supports available, even the GPA that wasn't available to use back then. When you're going through so much struggle, maybe off the pitch to even get pitches, get training times, find managers, what kept you driving Dublin football forward and why did you want to represent Dublin and bring it, bring them to an All-Ireland title? The girls that were there with you, very simply, like, you know, because I think in those situations, the people who hang around and the people who are, you know, really putting it in, like I said, you get very close. You have a lot, an awful lot of respect for them, like the sacrifices they were putting in and, you know, for the setup that was there. Yeah, like, I mean, the pitches we were on were, it was hard to get pitches. Sure, we were struggling to get a management team, like, in fairness, people stood in. Um, Johnny took us that year and, you know, and you just as difficult as it was I think we all had a lot of respect for each other and there were uncomfortable days and I mean some of it we held laughing at which wasn't funny at all like I remember I used to go skiing like because when I played basketball I always went skiing in February so I kind of continued that for my first few years and I remember coming back and you know Louise Kidd actually who's involved at the Dublin Myers with me now I remember her talking about training session and it was not funny but I held laughing for about an hour with how ridiculous like it was candid camera type of stuff you know in terms 
you know, there weren't enough people throwing the drills, people getting frustrated. I think they've gone for a training session on the beach. I think three of them showed up like she was just so annoyed. But like we nearly had to laugh about some of it because it was bad. But I think it just made the group get closer together. You know, and I think from that core group, then the rest of it kind of kept taking off. Mm-hmm. When you took that role as captain, can you can you discuss kind of your your style and your leadership approach? Like whenever I've interviewed previously, Kira Tran, she she said you were one of her role models growing up. But a lot of the players would have kind of named you as a role model or would have recognised your leadership when they were part of the team. Can you describe what approach you took? Was it a conscious approach or was it just your natural leadership ability that you kind of just gravitated towards? Um, that's a great question again. Or um. I don't know if um, maybe some of it was like instinctive, but I suppose um, like all the sports I've ever played are team sports and I really enjoy being part of the team. Um, when I got so involved with Dublin and saw these girls who'd made it to All-Ireland Finals and then they, how, I suppose, how, how, how much they felt that they were still there dogging it out, um, I had a lot of respect for them. And I suppose for me, always as captain, um, I just wanted to try and do anything that would benefit the team um, in terms of leading by how I would have et, trained. Like like I said, I always felt and I always felt I was never the best footballer, but like I don't think anyone would have ever questioned my work rate uh, or my commitment or, you know, if we were told to do weights five nights a week. I would have been the first there lifting the weights and trying to encourage everyone else to do it like so I suppose I try to lead by example in terms of I I did whatever I could to make me a better player and I suppose how I played on the park was always about the team as well I it it was never something I never wanted to be the person who and I think it's really important to have those people on a team so I'm not saying that you, you shouldn't have them you need some players who love getting the scores and who are but I suppose my role was just I, I just worked really hard and I would have done anything for the girls on the team probably would have felt which may sound ridiculous kind of protective of them as well I would have always wanted to try and mind them and I would like to think that I tried to help the girls in terms of when they were coming into the team to make sure everyone felt a part of it you know but um mm-hmm. I don't know about role model or that. Like I said, I loved it and I loved being captain. Um, it was a role, I suppose, I really enjoyed in terms of time, trying to drive people on. But I, I don't know whether it was just, if it's just a, an instinctive thing in me, I don't really know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you do welcome in young players into the setup, like for example, I think Noel would have come in around 2009, 2010. When you have that caliber of a player coming in, obviously you make everyone feel welcome, but how do you explain the the lessons you've learned about what it takes to come into a senior and county team that's looking to win Ireland and I know you won won that year but how do you explain that to a younger player coming up that doesn't really might not might be as you said when you were coming in a bit naive doesn't really understand the commitment level it's take it takes and the journey you you guys have been on for that number of years with all those struggles yeah and I suppose it's a funny one because in the way some of those minors coming up had more experience of football than than I did in terms of they'd won minor All-Irelands you know or they'd been very successful at minor and so they were coming in I suppose you know into a setup where they were probably more successful prior to us winning the 2010 All-Ireland than than we were you know and and I suppose there, there's two sides of it. Like whilst I say I was naive coming into the setup, like work rate was always my thing. So like 
I still just went at it and just fought for everything. And, you know, like I said, not necessarily thinking about starting 15 spot at the start was where, I was, where, was, where I was naive. I just wanted to always win the ball and play hard and get stuck in. And I would never have shied away from hard work. So I suppose trying to get the minors maybe to understand sometimes that, you know, in terms of the physicality of it, in terms of the training, in terms of the mind in yourself, in terms of what they're eating, you know, all of that stuff, just trying to, I suppose, just improve them, you know, I mean, because they came with so much football, like super footballers, but there's more, I suppose, to senior football, there, there's a lot more goals with it in terms of physicality and the mentality, I suppose, the mental strength of it as well, that they're going to be battles and, you know, just different facets of, I suppose, but I also would have been very aware that they brought a lot to the team that we didn't have, you know, because they had different skill levels and they had learned and won a lot at minor, so. Yeah, you're part of the management side of things now, so out of interest, you're always accredited for your work rate. Is that something you can teach a player? Do you develop it, or is it just something that a player has, kind of like an innate skill? Yeah, I think some of it is innate. I think... um, I think certainly some people have a, a skill in terms of winning the ball and just seeing the ball and not seeing any danger around going to win it like that. They just want to pick it up. And I think that that certainly is, is more of an innate thing. Um, in terms of work rate, I think it's something that you would always be trying to train and coach into players. But again, yes, some people definitely are just natural workhorses and it comes easier to them. <laughs> always remember Kim Flood. Um, Kim Flood would have played with us as well she um I remember one night after a game we were out having a few drinks you know and um Kim was slagging me kind of you know I, I don't know if soft spot for Kim but anyway I was running she was saying I don't know how you do it she said like you know I was ahead of you tracking back she said and then you're running past me a full still saying keep working now Kim don't stop keep working back and like she was like I can't do that she was like you passed me out and you were able to talk she said I couldn't breathe and I was trying so I do think in fairness some people have a different fitness you know in terms of my thing was getting up and down the pitch whereas as Kim's would have been the skill and taking on a player and putting over the score but I just remember she was so funny how she said it you know there was probably a few expletives in it as well when she was I just thought it was really funny so I do think that some people are naturally the hard workers and they get up and down and you know that's what they enjoy doing whereas there's other like to take a player on and have a burst of pace and have a great strike of the ball over the bar which Kim had you know so yeah, yeah. there was an interview with Siobhan McGrath she said there is one standout dressing room moment Denise Manson told us a half time one day to saddle up and be prepared to do the donkey work her version was a bit more colourful <laughs> <laughs> was this what were your uh, your pre-game and halftime speeches like Denise um I I don't know I mean like I suppose with the when we were with Jerry and Tommy and Mick um they would have done a thing where we used to have to kind of do goals and you know just three very specific and they might have picked out one or two that stood out and that kind of would have led it um I mean for the most part yeah it was probably about hard work and trusting in each other and stuff but yeah I suppose I used to get frustrated if uh, if I felt people weren't like if the game was slipping away from us and it was because we weren't we just weren't putting it in. We weren't diving on the loose balls. We weren't winning them like that. That would have been really something then that I would have gone after. And yeah, obviously that particular game, it was a dirty game, but I felt like we were trying to play the fancy football, but we just needed to get stuck in and start like grinding out a result. So yeah, probably. <laughs> I told the girls they needed to start working hard. Yeah. When you're a high performer, I guess this has come up a lot on the podcast. 
when you're playing a match and when you come off the pitch how did you measure a successful performance aside from a win and a loss and I know that's kind of an easy way to to kind of measure how good a game was but for you how did you measure a successful performance for yourself and for the team um that's probably one thing that I, I probably wasn't great at in terms of I, I I always would have been very hard on myself I, I probably never felt like I put in a, a performance like I wanted to put in you know I was always thinking I could have done or I could have done which I don't always think is, is a good thing you know I think you have to be able to um highlight what you did well and don't get me wrong I, I would know that maybe I had worked hard but there would have been a pass like if I gave a pass astray in a match like that's what I would remember and maybe everybody is the same I don't think so actually I think some people can remember the stuff they did well and struggle with the stuff that they maybe didn't but I was the other extreme which wasn't always a good thing um, I suppose coming off the pitch um, particularly I suppose if we felt like maybe a game had been getting away from us and I, for me again it was always the team like if I felt the team had put in a good performance or like if the back line had worked really well together or the forward line clicked or like I enjoyed us playing good football. Um, I suppose I would have hated if we came off the pitch and we just hadn't done what we knew we could do, whether or not it was that we hadn't been prepared or we weren't tuned in enough or we didn't react on the pitch. Um, yeah, I used to be disappointed if we didn't react to something an opposition did and that we couldn't fix it ourselves on the pitch, which is something I think is really important in terms of coaching, like that that players can make their own decisions on the pitch because, you know, when a game's in the melting pot, they need to be able to react to whatever the other team is doing. But um, I mean, for the most part, I just remember now, I suppose in hindsight, I remember great days coming off the pitch on a high when people had put in good performances, we'd got a result and there was such a buzz around it. And then obviously you remember the days where you come off and you've lost and the changing room is, you know, but in terms of my own performance or what I, I used to come off feeling good or bad about, I, I probably didn't give myself credit enough ever coming off the pitch for having put in a, a great shift as such. You know, I probably focused on what I needed to work on again. So mm-hmm. leadership groups have become nearly like cliche at this point. Um, how does a manager and a management team from your perspective as a captain how do they and now now management how do they try get the, like how can they get the most out of their captain how can they get the most out of their leadership group with that relationship and how do they bridge the gap between the captain and the team is there any particular way that you see that managers should maybe use their not use is the wrong word but with a captain how do they manage that relationship with the players effectively through the captain and through the leadership team um, yeah, well, I suppose the first thing is, I suppose, trying to identify a, a, a person who can take that role on, who I suppose has some of the attributes already in terms of being a good communicator, which is also another buzzword, I know. But for me, I think open dialogue within the group and to make sure that it's coming both ways, that it's not just coming from the management team, that it's coming from the players as well is really important, like that they feel they have a voice and ownership and that it's, it's something that we're all striving towards, that they're setting it. And I suppose having a captain who mixes well with the players, but who can also, is comfortable coming and I suppose having uncomfortable discussions with the management team, because I think in order to improve, there's a lot of uncomfortable discussions in terms of, and probably not so much at minor level as senior because, you know, they're younger, but I, I suppose when you get into senior football, like I think you have to be able to have uncomfortable decisions or discussions about whether things are going good, bad, or, you know, how players are feeling and that you're confident enough to bring that back to the management team. 
And I suppose that's ensuring that everyone understands that everything that's done within the group is for the benefit of the group. That, that's all it's about. And I think that that's a really important and it seems so simple. But I think once everybody knows that you're all striving just to make the team the best that it can be and everything else that happens once it's done in a, a positively constructive way should be received as such. So I suppose it's identifying a captain who's able to engage because it's not everybody doesn't like that role. And I think it's important that you have somebody that's comfortable in it and then to make sure they know that there's an open line of communication and that the players know and to try and have as many open and frank discussions as possible. Mm-hmm. The 2010 final, um, at what point in the game did you realise you, you were going to win? Um, Do you remember a distinct moment where you just say we have this? Um, yeah, I think there was 10 seconds left to go on the clock and we were like, because I remember there was a sideline ball and um, Kathleen was over on the sideline and she was giving me the ball it had gone out and she was like, we have it. And I was like, Kathleen, and I mean, we could have been up, I don't know, 13, 14, 15 points at that stage and there was probably only 10 minutes to go. But I think I, I couldn't have taken my foot. I couldn't have thought for a second like I was playing till the final whistle. But I do think there was about maybe 10 seconds to go and I was standing in the middle of the park and I don't know if it was kick out and I was like, we've won it. So I like I said, I wasn't I wasn't stopping that day until the final whistle, you know, but um, yeah, I was standing in the middle of the park and I'd say there was about 10 seconds to go and I finally thought, yeah, I think we have it. There's no coming back from this one. Is there a way to describe that feeling when you realise you've won your your alert, your first All Ireland? Um, is and all of these? I know for a lot of people, not for yourself, but it would have been a dream for maybe four or five. I know it was a different dream for you because of all the struggles you've gone through. Can you describe that feeling of elation? People have said, but is there are there words to describe that feeling? Um, no, I just sometimes think there's something wrong with me because it was quite a bizarre one for me. Like there was a certain level of. I don't know if it was relief as well. I don't know when you've been striving so hard for something. And I mean, it, it was amazing. Um, like, I actually don't remember a lot of it from after we won from the final whistle, you know, that way and, and going up and, and, and getting the cup and that. It was nearly when we sat on the bus, maybe afterwards, I sat beside Kleena, we were going to our, um, to our banquet kind of thing. And I just remember feeling really, really content I think the elation nearly happened maybe in the days after, um, but but in the immediate aftermath, I think it was a little bit of um, relief, like emotional as opposed to on a high, I think that came maybe later. And um, But yeah, I'd always feel really weird saying that because it's supposed to be like that was the high, like when you got to lift the cup and I'm like, mm, I don't know if that was. Like the whole thing with the team was the highlight, you know, in terms of when I got back and was spending the time with them and, we were all on such a high and there was such a buzz but you know and the rest of the girls they were all on a high on the pitch but for me personally it was a bit of a relief or a, a, I don't know it was a bizarre feeling to be honest yeah yeah there's a good picture there's a great picture of Jennifer you and yourself and Jennifer Dunn um and I think it was a it could have been 2009 and 2019 and at what point did you realise throughout your career, not just 2010, that you were a role model? And I'm just going to tell a quick anecdote. 2013, I think it was the league. Nave Marnog, less than 50 people there. Uh, I think most of it was family. And then me and my dad rock up. And I go up to the end of the game and I asked you to sign my jersey. And not only did you sign my jersey, you pulled all the girls out of the dressing room and got them all to sign it for me. What point? At what point did you realise you were a role model? And why why is the wrong word but for interactions like that why did you put so much did you realize that look this is really important like for example when I came up to you this is you know a young girl that loves the team 
you know it's important for me to to kind of be that role model and and bring everyone out and for Jennifer to be that role model and I think it must have been a really cool moment to to take that picture with her again 10 years later yeah god or I didn't realize that was where I don't even remember <laughs> no you definitely don't remember that's bizarre yeah wow it's not lovely story though um yeah with Jennifer it was really nice as well I we they when they won in 2019 then um I went out with the the girls after the they'd had the the joint celebration for the men's and the ladies team in um in town and I went out with the girls for a while and I didn't I didn't remember this incident with, with Jennifer either sure she looked like a but she was she was only a really young kid you know and um she showed me the picture and she said we'll take another one you know and it was absolutely gorgeous because I mean she just looked so young and then she was towering over me then in 2019 you know it was really really lovely to see and um, no I, I suppose I never and I, I still probably don't uh, see myself as a role model as such um like I said I, I suppose I felt it was what I should do as captain of the team and you know if I was asked to go and do presentations, which was what I had done out in Kula, I think when I met Jennifer, um, like I, I would have put myself out. I would have, I would have tried to accommodate any time I could to, to make sure people asked, because I did think it was important. And I suppose as well, we would have had great support from people like, um, at the time Eugene would have been out in, um, in Kula, like, and he would have been a great supporter of the team. So if anybody ever asked, I would never have said no. I never thought it was doing it as a role model or to inspire or anything like that. Like I said, I was quite surprised. Like I would never have put Jennifer Dunn as that one of those girls. And I mean, I think she's such an amazing midfielder. And when she was saying she would have, you know, looked up, I, I thought it was bizarre, you know, but um, oh, look, and they're lovely stories to hear now. And I, oh God, if I did, I, I'm, I can finally say, I suppose, that, that I'm proud of something I did on the pitch then, if that's what did happen, because at the time I wasn't doing it for any other reason other than I, I felt it was what I should do. You know, I didn't think I was a role model or anything. So that's a lovely story that you've just told. And like no more than in 2019 with Jennifer, it was really lovely to see the picture and to hear her say it, yeah. Yeah. How much of intercounty football and intercounty standard is down just to kind of attitude and a player just deciding kind of, you know to make the correct decisions but really attitude like how much of that is actually down to the player's ability obviously you need to have a certain skill set but when there's now in Dublin there's you know there's such a high skill set you look at the the division one or even division two league games across all the clubs there's such talent there how much of it all is down to attitude to make it to the to the senior standard um for me and again maybe that's because that's the way I would play or or look at a game like I think attitude and application are are huge because I think you can have highly skillful players who just don't can't compete at a certain level or you know I suppose as well when you're coming from different clubs and the clubs are all playing at different levels like some players are up against opposition where it's really tough for them week in week out and then other girls may be part of a, a very successful team it's a little bit easier at clubs so coming up to inter-county I suppose you have to be able to to dig a little bit deeper if that's not something that you're doing week in week out but um like I said that's probably a personal thing as well but for me attitude is huge attitude application and, and mental strength like being able to take the knocks like if it's not going well that you're not getting in on yourself as such or that you're using it to drive yourself on as opposed to 
uh, taking it as a confidence knock I suppose it's just to back yourself and, and I think all of that is easier if you're really enjoying it like for me if you're really enjoying competing it's easy to keep trying to up it or if you think oh she roasted me last week of training but you're you can't wait to get back out to as opposed to nearly looking for a different player to mark like if I ever felt like somebody like I'd be heading straight for them the next night to try and see well now let's see do you know what I mean so I think a little bit of that uh, competitiveness but that you're enjoying it that it's not too serious or at the same time you're not going to be devastated if she destroys it again that you're saying right well here we go again the next week you know so um yeah 100 percent. and i suppose particularly with underage players coming up because there are huge skill levels it's the difference between whether or not that they're going to be really successful is going to be having that bit of bite and that bit of grit about them which is in terms of how they apply themselves and their attitude on the picture in terms of winning a ball and also in terms of embracing the whole team mentality as well I think there's a lot of stuff on it so yeah attitude is huge like I'd be putting it up there 90% you know what I mean like I think it's huge yeah that makes sense what was the best advice you ever got from a coach or a player throughout your career Denise was there anything that just stands out to you now um no not really um not really advice or um it's funny um when I started playing football obviously I hadn't played very long so I was a big hand passer of the ball you know and um I I remember when I was part of a particular group and I was kind of told look when you get the ball don't worry about kicking it just look to play it off the shoulder nearly you know before a big game too but I remember somebody else on the management team uh, coming up to me and it, it probably always stuck with me because it was a it was a great lift and like that I knew my limitations and that but I, I was working on my kicking and you know it was it was getting better but um it this this man came up and he kind of just said look that's ridiculous you know you've come on so much you know back yourself to kick the ball and not that it was advice but it was more just him having that bit of faith in me or just identifying that maybe that wouldn't have been the best thing for me to hear going into a game that he came and it, it always really stuck with me and I always really appreciated it because I suppose I knew my own limitations but to have it said in the group like that but for him to come and say look I have a lot of faith in you you play your game the way you play your game because you're excellent at it and that's why you're in the starting 15 now so soon you know that kind of way and I just really appreciate it so it wasn't necessarily advice about the game or anything it was just something he said to me that probably stuck with me and I really always appreciated it because it was probably the first time where I thought god am I good enough to be here in terms of having that as your you know your pre-match instruction was like it. <laughs> you know so really appreciate what he did you know that 2014 final, I won't dwell on it too long. Um, that second half, can you describe kind of what happened in the last few minutes? Did you notice that big momentum shift? I think Emer Scali coming on, I remember that game very well, was probably one of the biggest shifts in the game. She came in, got that goal. But can you describe kind of what happened in that? that? Um, well, it just felt like a, a, com- a complete capitulation, kind of. We just got ourselves uh, completely like we just got stuck we were literally stuck in the mud like we couldn't get the ball out you know there was there seemed to be I suppose panic in terms of trying to win the ball and it just wasn't happening and then I think we won the ball and we're working it up and got turned over and I suppose that was huge in terms of we 
we were struggling to get the ball out, you know, from kickouts. And I think we just won started working it up the pitch and it got turned over. And I remember just thinking, oh, like we we had been struggling to get it out for so long um, out of our back line. And yeah, I felt really at sea actually. It's probably the first time in a match where um I just didn't feel and I probably wasn't playing my best football. Obviously I'd been out of the panel in 2012 and I just come back into it in 2013 and 14. I had retired in 2011 and stayed retired. Um, so I probably didn't feel I was playing my best football then and I, I just didn't feel I could get anywhere in the middle of the park to help or yeah it was probably the most at sea I've probably felt in a game where you can just see it going past you and you're grappling to try and stop it and I suppose it was such a turnaround like I, I still can't believe we lost that game it's actually a game I still haven't watched back so I'm I'm probably not great on the details of it um because I, I it was just I think we were up were we up 10 you were up yeah maybe 15 minutes to go were we or it was, it was something like that yeah, yeah it was quite a big lead you know so um yeah it was it was a bizarre game and I, I just felt like in the middle of the park was I may as well have been in the middle of the ocean it just felt like literally couldn't get a handle on it and yeah like I said maybe it's a game I need to go and watch back now or maybe I don't ever watch. maybe maybe don't maybe not with did you realize did you realize that was going to be your last game for Dublin going in yeah was that kind of, yeah. that was you were going to retire yeah like I said I probably for the second time sorry I did for the second time yeah I probably retired in 2011 and then I came back and then obviously we were dropped off the panel so I came back for different reasons and that's probably a very key point but if I was to analyze it deeper I I probably had come back to play and it, it was it was slightly different than I suppose pre-2011 when I came back then and look part of me was happy to get back into an All-Ireland and particularly with Siobhan McBride as well and like I said I probably never felt I got back to myself in terms of football or maybe application or attitude I don't know I mean with the best will in the world but um, yeah no I had knew going into that match that that would have been my last game with Dublin yeah I think five at the time so like I was some you know, I was getting no fitter and no faster, yeah. I think that could have been Lindsay's last game as well. Um, can you describe what it's what Lindsay was like as a teammate and on the pitch and sharing the pitch with her for a number of years? I think that game she actually scored a goal and she was she was there in twenty ten as well, I think. Yeah. Can you just it's, describe it's Lily. How it, yeah, 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 sorry, Lily P, yeah. Can you just describe the level of talent, the level of attitude? I know she probably would have been very vocal on the pitch, but can you just describe her? Uh, what was she like in the Dublin setup? Yeah, well, because I suppose as well through basketball, I would have known uh, Lily down through the years. Um, look, when you talk about attitude and application, like, or, or all in, more buzzwords, like, I mean, that that's her, like, when she takes it up, she she's all in and she's fully committed and she's such a passionate person anyway. But more than anything, she's probably just a great... Um, a great personality to have in any changing room like you know there'd be a lot of banter there'd be a lot of laughing there'd be a lot of camaraderie you know that way and and that's how she plays on the pitch like she's hard on the sleeve she's you know wild in ways you know like unpredictable but um like her determination like you, you can't turn that on and off like that's how she trains that's how she comes to train and she would have put herself under pressure because I mean she would have been still playing National League basketball at the time when we won in 2010 but um, would still would have missed, I would say, next to nothing, you know, bar that one game where she'd get that helicopter down to Dr. Cook's Park in 2012. 
went on for five minutes but um oh look you know and I think when you look at what she's achieved and how she went on and did it in rugby like it's not by accident and back to your point about attitude and application like I don't think it would matter in terms of the sport because whatever it is Lily will do what she has to do to become very very good at it you know in the gym outside of the gym on the pitch and more importantly like her just her the camaraderie or the team or the um I suppose the us against them mentality a bit as well like she'd have all of that in spades you know and and just a great character to have in the changing room you know yeah I'd say so since leaving the panel uh, what changes have you seen within the Dublin squad obviously different management a whole new set of girls well uh, there would have been now th- actually sorry no 2014 there was still a good few girls from that team there now what changes have you seen overall within the Dublin setup um what's that word like professionalism I suppose is coming into it more and more in terms of the resources and um, I suppose in terms of the visibility of it you know like it's a much um much more widely received I suppose for it now in terms of like I said to you when we were playing that game I mean like that quarterfinal being televised like that wouldn't have been a you know would have been only starting I suppose in terms of how much coverage and that it was getting I suppose so the coverage the girls are getting is, is so much more and um, I think the standard of football is improving all the time I think the girls strength I mean we would have only started strength and conditioning whereas it's now like we have minors starting at strength and, you know so I mean players are getting stronger they're getting faster I suppose the tactics of the game and um, I suppose nutrition everything like it's all just up and I mean it's just improving all the time in terms of within the squad I'm sure it's a lot of still the same sort of stuff that you need to do in in terms of the changing room and that but uh, I suppose for the girls it's a lot more recognition for what they're doing maybe as well which is a, which is a really positive thing you know and like talk about role models now I mean I suppose when we were playing people wouldn't have known maybe many names but now I, I I think you'd struggle to meet people who wouldn't be able to name a couple of the girls off the Dublin team you know so um in terms of the visibility as well I think it's huge what what's your take as a defender uh on this kind of argument about bringing in more physicality obviously this huge strength condition now in the game it's a very different game of football even to 2014 girls are stronger people are now advocating for more physicality I think the final last year was a bit better because sometimes this is not a shot at any referees, but sometimes it's nearly to the book and there's no flow to a game because every minute there's a whistle being blown for free. What would your take be on the physicality side of things and letting girls be more physical? Um, I, I think it was always a very physical game, but then, like I said, that's probably the way I would have played. Like There would have been a lot of contact and stuff um, that you can get, get away with. Of. Um, you, know, you know there was there's always been a lot of contact for yeah. a long time. load of dirty tackles Denise yeah <laughs> <laughs> I actually would have thought I was a team player <laughs> liked I liked contact and you know like stopping runners and stuff but um I, I think there's a fine line and I think you need to be careful because like yeah I would like it more physical but I, I think you don't want the pulling you don't want the yeah. The, the fouls that are uh, the dirtier fouls I suppose but in terms of a collision or going hard for a ball you know I suppose it makes the referees job really hard but I, I do think that in terms of going hard for a ball and players getting hurt there that's part of the game you know within reason nothing reckless you know I do think that that level of physicality but I don't think in terms of tackling or pulling arms or you know fouls so I think, I think, you know, and like I said, I think the game has always been quite physical. I don't necessarily know 
what real changes you would bring in to allow yeah, I think people are advocating for uh, bringing in the shoulder what would be what do you think about that yeah and you know that's all great in theory again you know but then you're going to have the missed time it's just going to bring more fouling into the game as well I mean because it's something that has to be nailed right like we've we've yeah. seen it in the men's game yeah shoulders can be nailed right but they can be nailed really really poorly as well and I think that would have even more implications in the ladies game uh, in terms of you know being shouldered um, into the chest or whatever but uh, yeah I, I, I'd be wary like because like I, I loved my game was a physical game and I do think that there's room for it but I think we need to be wary of bringing in too many changes with regards to that as well yeah. and I mean the one point where I would see where people might is I do think in a one-on-one -on -one going for a ball I think we need to allow more physicality and maybe referees can be just given scope to do that as opposed to introducing more rules to like allow the shoulder or that. But I do think maybe a little bit more scope from the referees in terms of if it's two people going for hard for a ball, you know, that there doesn't have to be a foul blown up there. I mean, two people are going hard for the ball fairly leave contact. I, I think maybe in that regard, if there could be tweaks, but yeah, I, I'd be reluctant to go changing anything too dramatically. Outside of the rules, as we just discussed, what strides would you like to see the game make over the next five or ten years? Um, um, for me, probably um, coaching at club level and stuff. I, I think I'd love to see, you know, really good coaching. And not that it doesn't, but more coaching happening at club level, more female coaching at club level as well. Um, just to bring on coaching and football particularly in the women's game you know that's where we're we're focusing on but yeah for coaching and just to not have it that it's just somebody in the club taking a team and putting it all in like that we're training people to give them all the skills possible and just to bring the game on yeah that would be something that I'd be I'd be big into just to see coaching developing and improving for football your name came back into the Dublin circles uh, as part of the minor management. What was the original conversation there and kind of thinking, oh, I presume you obviously have now coaching aspirations. What was the original thought there? Uh, well, I, had, I hadn't really thought maybe getting into it. Like my children are, are quite young too, so it, it's busy. So it's definitely something I had a thought maybe down the line. And again, no more than when I was playing football, I'd feel um, how qualified am I? I need to do more of my... I've done the level one and the level two, but I feel I would need to go and do more maybe or have more experience. So I suppose when I was asked to get involved as part of the management team, um, I thought it'd be a good learning experience for me as well. I wasn't sure what I'd bring, um, but I actually love being around the group again. And it's a, it's a super group of girls. And I realised that that's, that's actually, I, I love doing that. And I love being around and, you know, just, looking at the girls play or seeing if you can have any one-on-one -on -one conversations with them to help them improve but um yeah I suppose do things I, I'm happy to start giving back as well I suppose um and the other is I would like to get more experience around other coaches and to learn from them in order if in another few years when I have more time on my hands yeah to take on a team or that you know um but I, I'm actually really really enjoying it so it's it's great to be back involved brilliant is there a particular skill or is there anything kind of looking back from what, what what you've seen with your playing career to underage players now is there anything that they're missing or is there anything coaches at club level 
should kind of I kind of have this question where it's like an underrated skill in the game is there anything in particular that we're overlooking now as coaches that the game has evolved we've forgotten some of the the really important uh, elements of the game um, again probably coming from basketball but for me like timing of runs and again so simple but like just just like nailing an off the shoulder or a support run or that it's not slowing it down I, I suppose it's hard as well and that the girls are very new to coaching in terms of it at an inter-county level but um, I suppose at club level it's very different because I think the, the differences in abilities is huge so you know you might have a girl who can run the length of the pitch soloing or you know, I think it's different and I suppose it's trying to tweak that. But for me, the whole idea of timing and space, like knowing pockets of space in terms of attacking it and in terms of defending it, again, it's maybe, and it's not tactical as such, I suppose it's a pitch awareness or a game awareness. Like that, I think maybe when you're just playing and loving running the grass at club level or you know when you're younger and that's what you should be doing but for me it's like and and maybe because I have that from basketball because like I said you really look at a basketball court and then for me football was just an amplification of it in terms yeah you were like I have all the space <laughs> yeah and you still knew what pockets were dangerous or how to drop in or his own defense or just to see the pitch um to see the dangers or yeah so probably an awareness of the pitch time and timing and space and then I suppose that's the same for that nail and an off the shoulder run just talking and where the space is to drive into yeah so it's probably something that yeah I really think about a lot that yeah I, I would love to see that developed more in players. Brilliant of all the players you've played against played with seen um what are the common attributes of those players is there anything that just stands out for you of or you know everybody just seems to have this one particular trait obviously everyone's different but is there's there is there kind of a trend or a pattern that you see with with top players? Um, yeah, I, su- I suppose, and depending on the position, maybe it's different, like, you know, um, like I, I love a really kind of, um, tenacious, high energy, you know, McGrath, Goldie, you know, players that really get, uh, Lindsay Davey, like, but then all, you also have the skill levels of, of other players who just make it look so easy in terms of having time on the ball or, um, I, I suppose for different positions, there's lots of different things like, you know, then there was like Avril Brooks and I was always fascinated at how tight a marker she was, you know, so I think there's different attributes depending on where, but I think in all of it, there's a, a, probably an honesty of play, you know, in terms of it, it's a very honest effort they put in, in terms of trying to win the ball, trying to play for the team. It's just a very, I suppose... A pure football maybe attitude on the pitch where they're just there to play and there's nothing there's no no showboating I suppose to an extent no, there's just purity or honesty in how they play maybe yeah okay brilliant could you pick a toughest opponent is there anyone that just stands out to you or is there multiple players there um an opponent um when I came up in 2003 um like I wouldn't have been football fit, I suppose. You know, you'd be fit from basketball or that, but in terms of getting up and down the pitch and we played Kildare, it could have been actually coming towards the second part of my um junior season, you know, it could have been the second time we came up against them. And I remember coming up against Brianne Leahy and um, you know, she was a super senior intercounty footballer and never mind junior. And I just the fitness, I couldn't believe like I was like panting trying to keep up with her and um you know, I would have played her years later and would have been quite happy with how I had come. 
football fitness but that like that match I remember thinking oh my god like a machine like I, I just couldn't understand how she could keep doing it and you know so probably she stood out as one of my earliest memories of just being an amazing footballer was Brianne Behe and in fairness probably proved to be that at senior as well even though that was my first introduction at junior yeah brilliant overall what's been the biggest lesson you've learned from sport Denise um I suppose the joy of being part of a team the camaraderie the yeah the sheer joy of that yeah brilliant I'm going to move on to sideline seven it's the same seven questions at the end of every episode at question one what is your favorite quote um it's funny because uh I it was probably a quote I I always particularly like this and then my son was filling out like a, his Pokemon bookie to make a thing and we were looking at quotes and he loved it as well but uh the, the, everybody you meet is fighting a hard battle be kind but Tom's woman he kind of changed it where it was if you can be anything in this world choose to be kind so he just anything with, I suppose would be kind in it yeah brilliant uh question two what's the best sporting event you've been to and you can pick one as a fan and one as a player um well, as a player, I suppose, the 2010 All-Ireland. Um, as a fan, in terms of attending big sporting events, you know, like I, I've been lucky enough to go to a lot of All-Irelands and stuff, but um, I, I also got tickets in 2010 um, to go when the Aviva had just opened to go to a rugby international there, which was a quite an amazing event more as a sporting event, you know. Okay. I had dinner with Katie Taylor was at our table and stuff so that oh wow yeah so as a sporting event but um I mean in terms of all Ireland's I suppose there's been so many because we've been so lucky in Dublin over the past few years in terms of witnessing those so yeah good point uh question three what's been the biggest setback or challenge in your career and how did you react to it um well probably the biggest challenge was when myself and McGraw were dropped off the panel in 2012 having come back after um retiring you know that was probably a very low point in my football career on the flip side then what's been your biggest achievement on or off the pitch um again this is why i wonder am i weird like i wouldn't necessarily say my biggest achievement on the pitch was the actual winning of the all ireland in 2010 for me probably the biggest achievement maybe was you know being captain of a you know this great group of girls for a number of years representing Dublin so that was probably my biggest achievement yeah looking back what advice would you give your 18 year old self um I struggle with this one um but I did um in later life I suppose a, a very good friend of mine I remember when we were talking about stuff and uh he was getting into mindfulness and stuff kind of but it was a quote that really stuck with me that I thought I, I would impart to other people again given the chance again so maybe I would impart it to my 18 year old self but it's just a very simple statement and um, I am okay as I am just like easy on yourself kind of yeah yeah love it who would be your dream dinner guest and why you can open up the table to a few people if you want yeah and after covid it probably be just to catch up with a lot of friends that i feel i haven't seen in a long time like i'll have McGrath on that list of dinner guests that i would love to have at the moment uh, in terms of celebrities i'm always intrigued as to what it'd be like to have a conversation with roy Keane. i don't know what yeah and uh then i suppose i'd have to invite michael collins for my husband but he's not in existence anymore but yeah so i would have numerous different ones but at the moment i think i'd be happy just to have a few friends that i haven't caught up with in a long time i'd be I haven't caught up with McGrath in a long time. So yeah, I think I'd have her. I got an anonymous submission. I won't say who it was. 
Can you tell us about the time you went to the cinema with two biscuits wrapped in cling film? No, that's a lie. I think the girls made up stories. <laughs> Me and bangers maybe bought a packet of biscuits and shared them. Yeah, people used to be fascinated. <laughs> we probably bought them in Starbucks and had one each. Yeah, we heard those bags. I also remember Lady Peak coming around to my house one day and I was saying, do you want to cook tea? And like, I did like one size of teasers and I took it out of the fridge and she was like, it's open. And I said, yeah, I had two of them yesterday with a cup of tea. And she was like, oh my God, Denise, yeah. You know? Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> I have a sweet tooth, you see, so I couldn't, I'd have to, you know, I, was, I tried to be very disciplined, but yeah. <laughs> you can imagine what to me mini size of Maltesers happy <laughs> that is brilliant that is brilliant uh, final question before I let you go if your life was a book what chapter would this be called um, reset maybe I'm just trying to um, after having two boys maybe I'm just trying to reset now and go again for the next chapter maybe yeah brilliant Denise thanks so much for joining the podcast um, best of luck with everything on and off the pitch and with the minor management team Thanks very much for having me on. A massive thank you to Denise for joining me on the podcast today. I just want to wish her the very best luck with the Dublin Miners and beyond. If you did enjoy the episode, please do let me know on social media at Sideline Live. If you are enjoying the podcast, I'd really appreciate if you leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as it does help the show grow. A big thanks to Field Queens for sponsoring this episode and thank you for listening. Thank you.